What is up, y'all? This is Connie Morgan with the Free Black Thought Podcast. Latasha H. Fields is my guest today, and she exploded on the national scene when she testified in front of Congress on the subject of Black poverty back in 2019. Although poverty in Black America is what she spoke on then, she is now known as a leader in the fight for parental rights. Latasha and her husband Ronald were born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and now reside in Chicago, Illinois, where they are homeschooling three of their children and other children from their community. Latasha is the founder of several organizations, including a Christian home educator support system, a Christian academy, Epic Cafe, Epic standing for Empowering Parents, Igniting Communities, and Team Illinois. She serves as the Illinois State Coordinator for ParentalRights.org, an organization dedicated to protecting parental rights. Latasha has appeared on Fox and Friends, Newsmax, C-SPAN, and was still humble enough to give us some of her time. Please join me in welcoming Latasha H. Fields to the show, and remember, there is no such thing as a Black perspective, just Black people with perspectives. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Latasha H. Fields, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Free Black Thought Podcast. You are a woman who does so many things and is involved in so many organizations and different levels of activism. When I was thinking about this interview, I was like, I don't know where to start with this lady. She's just such a powerhouse. (laughs) Yes, you are. And we're going to get into that. But I think parental rights is really kind of your foundational issue, which then drives your involvement in other areas, whether it's homeschooling or medical freedom, etc. You have founded the Christian Home Educator Support System, Epic Cafe. You founded a Christian Academy, Team Illinois, Know Before You Vote, so many things. But I think let's just start off right from the beginning, kind of setting the foundation in terms of parental rights, because that is a super hot topic that overlaps with all these other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, I'm seeing hit pieces about parental rights almost daily, you know, people who do not support parental rights, when I think even 20 years ago when I was a kid, that would have been unfathomable. But I want to make sure that our listeners understand even what you mean when you say parental rights. So if you could just start with defining kind of your mission, what how you define parental rights and what your goals are and far as far as moving the needle in that area. Thank you so much for having me, Connie. So it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Yeah. So everything you say, I echo it. Yeah. Um, and, and I too, uh, my husband and I, as many people, uh, would have never phantomed that we will be in the place that we are in in our country. And even globally, um, that parents um, will be attacked just because, of course, they have a God-given right to, to literally direct the care and education and well-being of their children. And so I, I tend to tell people, you know, God has uh, blessed my husband and I to to be involved uh, with our community, you know, with, with people. And it is a blessing. But my heart seriously for parental rights has really nothing to do with organizations, if you will. I, I understand the dynamic that we all have to uh, collaborate and network and work together and, and do things according to the law, per se, if you will. But for me and my husband, it, it's literally about humanity. It's literally about our God-given rights. It, it's, it's very biologically simple, uh, spiritually simple for us. They are my mm-hmm. children, right? And, and it's unfortunately, we have to give an explanation for that. I don't feel I owe the world an explanation for what we choose to do with our children. And so it is um, disheartening, uh, the attacks and the usurping of parental rights in this country. 
And so that's how I define parental rights. It's just God-given, kind of, you know. Um, we carry these babies, you know, the man, everybody knows biology, right? So mm-hmm. these are our kids. And so, and in empowering parents, you know, I mean that wholeheartedly um, because of the, the attacks and how the media and social media and these different outlets and the culture have inundated society. I do feel there is a maternal and sometimes paternal disconnect to what parenting is. I don't consider myself an expert for all things parents, but I consider myself an expert for my kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do know that because of so many things with society and our culture, there is a disconnect in a lot of areas. And one area for me that I think we're kind of bridging it back, if you will, is the parental authority and education. And so I just believe in the holistic approach of restoration of our families and restoration of our community. And I believe the Family Institute is the most powerful entity known in humanity. And I really believe with everything in me that if we can uh, echo how powerful family is in the restoration of traditional family, the nuclear family, the God-given family, the divine family order, um, there's a lot of things that we can change or the trajectory um, that our country or our community or our state is, is going in. So that that's that's my take on on parent. I just I believe parents don't realize for the most part the power that they have, the authority that they have, and a lot of the issues that we're facing, that if more parents would step up and come to the plate and just say, This is it, this is enough, it'll just stop, you know, and just really realize they're my kids and that's it. That's the end of it. They're mine. And and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to to protect them. What do you think is making parents afraid? Is it that they're just kind of being bullied by the media or professionals in certain areas? What I'm a mom, you're a mom. The mom, the term mama bear exists for a reason, right? You know, why aren't there more mama bears and papa bears popping up? I, I think it's a misconception of how to be a mama bear. You know, so when we look at the animal kingdom, if you will, the mama bear is not leaving the cub there in harm's way while she fights. Moving the cub out of harm's way and protecting the cub and continuing to fight if the fight has to be. And that that's what I don't understand about a lot of the mama bears. How are you a mama bear and the baby's still in the classroom? You know, yeah. that makes no sense to me. So every day, every day, year after year after year, I get it. I, I commend those that are fighting. You know, you're on social media, you're doing all these things. A lot of them are, come, are becoming viral sensations, if you will. But the baby is still being indoctrinated. The kid is still being destroyed sitting in that classroom. So I think we need to redefine what a mama bear is, you know, redefine how to fight. And so the, the second thing is you have a lot that because of society, because of a lot of economic barriers and social economic situations, I think a lot of them want to fight, of course. You know, I don't believe there's no parent, no mom or dad that don't want to protect their children, but there's so many um, conditions and situations that unfortunately hinders that fight. And I think when we find ourselves involved with a group of people in our neighborhoods or our communities that are reflecting what looks like fear or hopelessness, that's when we have to come together and literally take that word seriously, advocating and empowering for others. Because, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a minister, and my husband, a pastor, so I'm big on biblical principles. So I believe that the strong bad, the affirmance of the weak. And so when I see that and how we have seen that, I think we all have a responsibility to kind of 
lift those parents up and kind of bring them along with us to help them fight because society has inundated a lot of us to outsource our children, outsource the way we think, outsource our parenting. And so it is is definitely a lot of deception and manipulation going on in terms of the way we view parenting and the way we view how we should, if you will, protect our children. So what are some things or some tools, resources that you provide parents to kind of like put the power back in their hands? So like I listed off at the beginning, I know you have many different different organizations that you're a part of, but if there's somebody listening to this right now and they're like, yeah, I just, I'm lost, I'm confused, I've been told that my ch- child needs to go to this school and so I'm doing the best that I can to provide for them. I feel like I'm doing my best, but I'm getting the feeling that there's some areas where I need to step it up. Where would you direct them? Honestly, kind of, I would direct them to the word of God. For real, that's me. That's what I do. I mean, in, in everything that I'm involved in, we don't shy away from biblical principles. I believe the first step for those that are listening, that are Christians, for real, I'm talking about biblical, have a biblical worldview. That's my first step to people. Take it or leave it. That's my first step because I, I believe in my heart of hearts that I am who I am and we are who we are because of the way we believe, because of our faith. And so Epic Cafe, Chess, our homeschool group, Team Illinois, all those things have biblical foundation and being the repair of the breach. And so my first tool that I do, we are very engaged in our community. I love talking to people, right? I understand the power of bringing a different message because when we look at all the messages that inundate us uh, in our society today, it's it's real dark, right? And so mm-hmm. our first tool, as simple as it sounds, is to bring a different message because the people can't they can't move, they can't be louder, they can't activate, if you will, if they're not hearing something different. And it's okay if they don't move the first time we meet them, the first time they come to an event or a conference, whatever case it is. But I believe in planting the seed, right? So as one plant, one water, God will give the increase. And so it's the it's the constant repu- reputa- repetition of constantly inundating them, if you will, with the right message so that they can get that strength and that power for real to do what's right for their children. And I think that's what's missing in our community. We're not hearing that other message, right? Hearing things that are very cloudy, very biased, if you will, and and they're not just hearing that hard truth. And so that's one of the main tools that I focus on. And then with, with my school, you know, you know, over almost 17 years ago, uh, the Lord impressed upon my husband and our heart to be to have our school to be an evangelistic tool for parents. So when it comes to the education, those that feel that they can't, we we hate the word can't, but we understand why we would say can't, you know, but we believe you can do it. Um, we believe all can do it. Um, and so we're an extension of that to help families um, that are in different precarious situations to help them, to aid them in getting their children out of harm's way. So those are the tools that we provide, a message that encourages, that brings hope, and then having that tangible, because we can talk all day long, take them out, do this, do that, but parents need a landing place, right? We know there's a a lot of conditions within our communities, and some can't do it right off the bat, right? Um, I'm I'm a firm believer in two-parent households, but I know a lot of single parents that I champion them that do it, but somebody has to go to work, right? Somebody has to spend the money. You can work from home. You know, I'm big on entrepreneurialism and all these things. And so we have to be mindful of those dynamics. And so the message is my tool and being a place where, where families can come to 
is is what we do. And then we just love on everybody and we just affirm, believe we become extensions of each other's families. And so we help in, in those ways. Let's let's rewind and um, go back a little bit in your personal story, because you said 17 years ago, that's when you started your school. Yeah, that's when I started homeschool. That's when I, you started homeschooling. And then your your academy came later. Can you tie Can you connect the dots on that a little bit? So we started homeschooling my daughter in 2006. So she was homeschooled solo the first year. Um, and so the story is, is unique. You know, I'll make a long story short. We are from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That's what my husband and I are originally from. And typical parent, my background is real estate, business, and my husband is a barber. So, you know, uh, just typical family living. And I took her to school the first day of school and dropped off and on my way back home. Seriously, to me, it was no warning prior to this day from God, if you will. It just dropped in my spirit, just as audible as me, me and you are talking, you know, go back and get her, you're going to homeschool her. And I had never in my life heard that. I had never, I never met anybody that was homeschooling their children. Really? I, wow. I, I just didn't know anything about that. And, and so you hadn't talked about it with your husband or anything either. You decided you're homeschooling her and it was a surprise to him. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> had discussed it. It was not a conversation at the church. It was, it was just nothing. I mean, if it was, it, it went over my head. Um, the only thing that the Lord had prepared me for prior early 2004, the Lord had gave me a uh, ministry for youth, you know, um, and we'll get, that's the name of my school. So I, I'll get into that. But that's the only thing I had prior that, that I knew the Lord wanted me to deal with youth, outreach youth in our community. Cause you know, I was involved in our church. I was the youth pastor and all these things. So you know, that was just normal. That wasn't, you know, a unique thing to, to bridge homeschooling like that. That didn't, it didn't connect from that perspective. And so I, I went back to the school. I literally had to pull over on side of the road and I was weeping because I just, I didn't understand what, oh what, what I was feeling in my heart. Literally, I pulled over on side of the road and I just was bawling with, with tears. I mean, it, it just, it took over me. I'm serious. It really did. And, and I didn't, I didn't understand. And now that I look back on that day, it, it still brings tears to my eyes how God did that and how I didn't, how I did not ignore it. That's what, that's yes. what scares me, that I didn't ignore God. I didn't wrestle. I didn't fight. I didn't question it. I, I cried for a few minutes and I, and I went back to the school because I didn't even get a mile up the road from, from her elementary school. Mm -hmm. And I was still crying. And I can remember when I walked in that office, the principal and the minister, they, they all was like, what is wrong? Yeah. I was still crying. And all I could tell them is the Lord said, I'm going to homeschool. Give me my baby. The Lord said, I'm going to teach you. And they just like, what? Wow. They're trying to console me. And I'm just like, give me my baby. Give me my my, my child. And so they called her off the, the speaker and, and she came to the office. And, you know, she's eight when well, she was almost turning. She was nine. She had turned nine. And so she's looking at me and she, she just started crying too. I'm crying. So she's crying. <laughs> teach you mama go home school she just hugging me crying like okay you know and then we, we got in the car and I then I called my husband so all that went on I hadn't even called nobody just wow my husband after I left the school when we were driving and he just said okay let's do it and that was it and so here she'd we been in school for a couple she'd done like kindergarten and first grade or yeah she had done daycare my baby had been in daycare since she was at least one and a half two years old so I was typical, you know, my story, mm -hmm. I was 17 years old. I've been on food stamps. I mean, I've, I had, you know, my story, yeah, it's a lot. But 
it's a lot. So to, to be where my husband and I are today is, is nothing short but of a miracle. Um, the journey that, that we've, we've been through and to, to be who we are and to see the things the way I see it, to feel the things in a way that I feel it is, is just a blessing from God. So that little girl was my heart, you know, mm-hmm. and she still is. And she's 26. She, she whined now like mom, I'm 26, like trying to get over. <laughs> um, but yeah, so everything that I did, I, I was so laser focused on my baby. You know, she changed my life, you know, um, having her 17 years old. And so she, she just was, she is still is. And my other three babies too, my children are my life. I love my children. I, I love them because I didn't have what, and I'm pivoting a little bit, but I, I didn't have what they have. You know, they have a mom and dad. You know, me and my husband are married October 18 years. And Congratulations. Thank you. It's a blessing. And so the look in their eyes, and sometimes I imagine how they see us. We didn't have that. You know, I was, me and my sister was raised by my grandmother, you know. Uh, we had a rough life coming up, you know, mm-hmm. as well. And so I am so big on parental rights. People don't understand. I am not big on organizations. I am big on the actual divine meaning of that, what God intended for that, because I didn't have it. And I love being a mom. I love my children. I love my life. You know, I love my husband. I love what we're doing. So that's my story in homeschooling. And so I get home and I uh, then I research homeschooling. And my God, to my surprise, then almost 17 years ago, it was a amazing world. But one thing I didn't do, Connie, I didn't connect with anybody. It was just me, my husband, my daughter, and Jesus. It was just us. Yeah. And we knew a lot of people, people in our church and everything. And everybody thought I was crazy. They said we were going to go to jail. Because Really? Wow. Oh, God, yes. It was crazy. They just did not understand what I was doing because there was no point of reference. There was nobody else doing it, right? So so for her first year, uh, she was solo. And so at, at the end of her first year, and then I was in real estate. So she would just travel with me on my real estate appointments. We had a blast. She didn't, she was loving it. She liked it. Okay. She loved it. She was, uh, we talk about it all the time. It was like she was born to be homeschooled. She just, I mean, it just succinct in her. I mean, there was no pushback from my baby when she, when she was homeschooled. And so at the end of her year, her first year, then that's when the Lord began to, so people kind of started getting the, the way, because, you know, I started being a huge advocate immediately. I started getting in a lot of trouble immediately, um, <laughs> big mouth. And so- um, But at this point I, you were focused more, I mean, they're related, parental rights and homeschooling are related, but yes. you were focused more on the homeschool, like, hey, everybody should homeschool. This is great. It's working yeah. out for me. You hadn't really shifted your- your talking points to be like parental rights yet, or had you? Yes, it was, but it wasn't, like I said, I didn't know about these organizations. So I was always big on God giving parental thought. We was always big on Proverbs, train them up in the way that they should go. We was always big on Deuteronomy 6, teach them diligently. So I didn't know about any of these people. Like I did not connect. I did not do anything. And so we've always came from a biblical perspective of why God called us. Because again, I was not doing it because of academics. You know, the Lord didn't tell me to pull her out because the teacher of the school or she was failing. Like, I didn't have any basis yeah. of that. All I had for real county was Christ. I had nothing else. I had nothing else to go off of. I had no reason why I pulled this girl out of school. You know, she was doing fine in school. So I had nothing what now we have been hearing for the past yeah. 16, 17, 20 years. You know, parents are going through horrible things. 
uh, in terms of what the school systems are doing. So we had nothing but Jesus. Like that was it. So I was sounding like somebody crazy because I had no reason to pull this girl out of school. And all I had was God is saying, you know, make disciples out of these kids. You know, this is your parental authority. This is what you have to do. You know, and then my thing was, I've always been a voice against the poor education because God began to remove the veils off my eyes. We always know the public school system is bad. That wasn't a new phenomenon. But when when God removed those veils off my eyes, I began to see more of how depraved, if you will, in, in our public school system, especially in the black community, of what it was doing and what it was not teaching our children. And it, it kind of woke me up to how they fought to remove prayer out of school. They fought to remove the Bible out of school. So it was just all these things God began to reveal to me that I'm not there. You know, these children are getting 15,000 hours of this indoctrination and I'm not there. Sunday at eight o'clock is not enough. You know, we have to live a life of Christ. So that's how I came out. I've been mm-hmm. a voice for parental rights. I've been a voice for the restoration of the family, for parents taking back their authority to teach their children everything you know, if you were getting our houses in order. So that's always been who I have been from day one. And so at the end of her first year, that's when the Lord um, impressed upon my husband and I heart to open up our, our private school because parents start to hear me. People were starting to hear me like, okay. And so God said, you know, open up this evangelistic academy to help other parents. And so- A year we, after you started, you were already- Literally, literally up the school August, 2007. So a year after. So that next school year, August 13, 2007, we opened up Kaiser Group Christian Academy. Was this a diverse group of parents or were you mostly in the black community or what did it look like? Mostly in the black community. So we were in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, definitely 100 percent black community. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You're still in Louisiana at the time. Okay, great. As you know, I know you're well aware that the explosion of homeschool post pandemic has has happened across all ethnic groups, but particularly with with black black families. Do you think that homeschooling and parental rights is more of a of like a black issue in America today or is it just universal? What's who are you speaking to? Do you try to target black communities specifically? Are you like, hey, all parents come drink from this living water? (laughs) Yeah, I think parental rights and uh, homeschooling is a universal thing. I think it's universal. All parents cross the spectrum, cross races, cross ethnicities. But I do speak particularly to black communities. I, I do cater to black community because what, what I've seen in my little sphere of influence, if you will, that the message can be lost to us. And so when, when I came out, I was doing a lot of work in the white community. I was connected with a lot of white homeschools. It was not a lot of black people homeschooling. Right, right. Um, but I was a part of NDHE, George Burgess as well when I was in there. Mm. So that was black, right? Yep. But, so I would say once we moved to Chicago, because the Lord sent us here to do an evangelistic work. So I will really speak to once we came to Chicago, I was not, I, it was hard finding black people that was homeschooled. And so coming from Baton Rouge and coming from MBHE, you know, with George Burgess, you know, I was like blacked out, like, yeah, black people homeschooled because that's all I was around, right? And so when we got here, I'm like, oh, wait, where the black people at? Why are you not homeschooled? What's going on? Like, you know. Mm-hmm. And so me and the kids, I just started advocating. So I literally kind of, when we got here, I hit the ground running. I started immediately making flyers, putting it in the libraries uh, in the city of Chicago, because that's what I found that the public school system had a real stronghold 
uh, particularly on black families in Chicago. And I'm like, no, we're not having this. This world is beautiful. What are we doing here? You know, this mm-hmm. education is unlimited. It's vast. And it's a tool, Connie. It's a tool to snatch back our parental authority. And that's what I want people to understand. Homeschooling is a tool for restoration. It is the arc of safety. It is the gate. If, if you want to know how to take back your family, take your kids out the public school system. Mm-hmm. And it revitalizes your whole perspective on family. And that's what I seen when I got to Chicago. And that's what I didn't like. No, we're going to homeschool in Chicago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that has been my... Um, my path, my motivation, if you will. I speak to all, but I'm not going to ignore my people, you know, and that's what I see. So I get connected with a lot of the white organizations here and I love them dearly and I thank God for all of them. But I see the message here. I go with the message. I say, wait a minute, this message is not getting to Chicago. Mm. You know, I'm in these rooms and most of the time I'm the only black person in the room. And I'm like, but this is great. This is, this is, this is life or death. Why is this not resonating in Chicago? And so um, God just began to use me more um, to, to bring that message. And I still I still crave for it to come more and more and more. And so that's mm-hmm. why we do what we do, because it needs to be saturated with, within our community that we can do this. Um, and so I'm so blessed by the statistics, but I want to see it just explode even more so. Absolutely. Does the school still, is there like a branch of the school still in Louisiana or did you move? Is there two locations or how does that work now? When we first got here, it was because we had students. And so, you know, the teacher that was there, she, she kept it going for the first, for that end of that school year. Cause we got here October, 2011. So the end of uh, 2012 to May, she kept it going for us, but I do still have students in Louisiana. Mm. So not a physical branch, but we do online. And so, okay. Uh, I have two families um, that I'm still teaching in Louisiana online. And also I have a family in Florida that was here in Chicago that moved to Florida that I'm teaching online. So um, definitely a um, online version is still there. Yes. So anybody can sign up for the online version. Anybody listening now who's curious? Absolutely. Yes, we do remote learning. Yes. I, now I'm going to be honest. I don't favor right. <laughs> remote learning. I, I, of course, nobody really do right in person. Mm-hmm best, but we do offer it. Absolutely. Yes. And that's probably something good for someone who might be listening and they're, they just don't know where to start. And so yes. they can have an online community first as they're searching for that in the person, in-person community that eventually can wrap their arms around them or they can go off and start their own. Right. I mean, it only that's took you a year. <laughs> yeah. That's what I encourage that. Please. We, we, look, we want to saturate America, you know, if you will. So please, and whatever I can do to help even in that area, by all means, start a co-op, start a school, do it, get your babies out of public school. And and for all the listeners, we will be linking all of her various resources in the show notes. So you'll be able to go through and look at that, whether it's Epic Cafe or the Christian Home Educator Support System or, or whatever the case may be, that'll all be outlined in the show notes. But can you talk a little bit more about the school specifically? Like what kind of school is it and how is it? Someone might be listening and be kind of confused. Well, it's just a different school, right? So they're not really being homeschooled. They're just in a different school. Can you, what kind of school is it? Yeah. So now since COVID, there's so many terms now, you know, when I started, it was just homeschool and private school, you know, mm-hmm. co-op or private school. Now you got micro school, you got pie school, you know, you got all these terms that, that are flying around. So I think now I'm categorized as a micro school, maybe. Okay. Um, 
but we are a, I like to call a two-in-one learning center. I am a homeschooler. And so I say I homeschool other children in our private school. So our private school is categorized as a homeschool cooperative academy. Okay. And the parents are very involved. And so here in Chicago, we have homeschool families and the students that are enrolled in my private school. We come together as one learning center. Okay. So that's the uniqueness of our setup, if you will. Um, so parents have to be involved, right? Because then it's not really homeschooling. If they're just dropping the kid off, seeing eight hours, six hours or however long. Well, the parents that enroll, they do drop them off because, you know, I am and I am we are here as an as an evangelistic tool to help them, but they're involved. And so I have um, ways that they can be involved when they're off field, trips, okay. different things. So it, it works the same way as any other private school. But um, it, I tend to believe we are more involved with our families, right? Because we do a lot of family events, a lot of things that keep the parents involved. So, and then it's so small and intimate. So they can't, they can't in the mindset, drop them off. They physically, mm. drop them off, but they can't just drop them off and not be involved with me or not be involved with my husband or just not be involved. I mean, our school is so set up to my students spend the night. I mean, like we're very family oriented, you know? So I help parents if they go out of town with their job mm-hmm. pay to go to school, you know, so, you know, we drop off, we pick up, we feed, you know, we're from the South. So we do a lot of cooking, you know, yeah. we, we're big on gumbo and fellowship. So my families that are enrolled in our school, we are very involved in their lives and they're very involved in our lives. So uh, that's why they are, they consider themselves homeschool parents too, because the, the way we operate the school they are blessed to be involved with their children's education. They are hands-on with their children's education. And so they don't see themselves either as, as their kids are just in a private school. They, they consider themselves homeschool parents as well uh, because of the way we cultivate the atmosphere. So yeah. it's keeping it, kind of capping it, if like a key, you can only take so many families because well, to keep that into Well, here in my home, I can only take some more. That's why, you know, we're, we're, fundraising for a building. So um, the most students uh, I've had here in my basement in my home is about 20. Students. Okay. And that was, that was pretty tight. You know, we had the desk and then we had to pull out the long tables and then like for co-op because the co-op families meet here as well. So since COVID, you know, everything is in my home. And so we meet once a week and we've been meeting once a week since 2012, nonstop religiously. We are okay. very faithful in our meetings. And so Prior to Kobe's meeting in the libraries and different things like that, and kind of like house to house sometimes, um, but everything has been 100% here. And so it gets pretty tight, you know, because um, we have about 10, I think it's 10 families that are part of our homeschool organization. And I think when we all come together, it's about 20 kids plus the kids that are enrolled in my school. So it gets pretty, pretty tight sometimes um, with the kids. Um, but yeah, we all meet here. Uh, and so they meet here Wednesdays, and then we have a second co op day sometimes on Friday. But my school is Tuesday through Friday. We have a four-day school. We, we haven't schooled on Monday in about 14 years. We don't school on Mondays because my husband is a barber, and that's his only day off Sunday and Monday. So we're big on family time. Yep. So we, we don't have school. But that's the way our school is, and we use Accelerated Christian Education. That's the curriculum that I use with my enrolled students. And so I've been using that curriculum for 15 years. Um, and so we do other things, but that's the core. We use all sorts of resources and tools um, in terms of how we teach our kids. And then our homeschool co-op 
is where we bridge the elective courses, or we like to call them our enrichment courses. And so mm-hmm. we teach financial literacy year round because me and my husband both are entrepreneurs. So that just comes without saying. So we're big on financial literacy. We teach Black History 365. We do not wait to February. So every <laughs> year or every semester, depending on who we're studying, the children are learning about a Black patriarch every year. We've been doing that literally 12 plus years. That's that's just a part of our curriculum. And we're big on urban garden, gardening because my, my daughter, that's that's her degree. And so that those are three things that that just is part of our curriculum. It's just a lifestyle. It's not even our curriculum for us, it's just the way we live, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're always teaching our children agriculture, you know, American history, which with a huge emphasis on black history, civics education is huge. You know, we combine all those things. We teach the constitution. So those things are just they never they never come off our website because that's just what we teach you around. And so we okay. had other things like music and piano and arts and all those things in as well. And so that's our school. So the kids week is Tuesday and Thursdays is when we do core academics. So that's when we do the four math, science and social studies. We only do those on Tuesday and Thursdays. And then Wednesdays and Fridays when we do all those things, I just was sharing with you in our field trips. And then Fridays, Fridays kind of deviate a little bit. Um, that's when we allow the children to kind of tell us what they want to learn. And so mm. that's like our career day or vocational day where they just kind of explore whatever they want to explore and they do whatever they want to do, if you will. And so I'll just give one quick example. Like my oldest son, he's 16. He's into cars. And so he does, he's studying auto mechanic and um, he's doing also a, a design engineering program. And then my baby boy, he's 13. So he does, um, he loves the solar system. So he does creation science and Christian astronomy and things like that. So those are the things that they would do on Friday and we just let them explore. So I, I, I call that day is the day I get a headache um, because the kids are just bouncing off the walls. And so that's the day they have their fun, if you will. Yes. Okay. And you have all different grades and ages, right? So that's something that's a little bit different about homeschooling is that when you go to a public school or even a private school, a traditional private school, generally speaking, kids are only socialized with kids that are their own age, which is not how the real world works. You have to be able to socialize with all kinds of people of all different ages. And so I'm assuming hearing, you know, obviously your own children are not all the same age, but it's a diverse group of even age range, right? Yes, it is. The youngest baby we have, I think she just turned three. Oh, wow. So so we, and she comes to co-op, she comes to class and we have work for, we have civics for, uh, we have the little ABC civics. So we, we try to find resources for all ages. But um, no, I take that back. The youngest now, Julia just had a baby, maybe three days old. <laughs> the one that actually comes to class, the youngest is three. Okay, um, okay. Actually comes to class. And the oldest now, uh, I think my son may be the oldest now. He's 16. I think he may be the oldest student we have now. Okay, okay. Yeah, I just, and I also want to point out to, to people, um, you know, the laws about co-ops and what you can do homeschooling-wise are different in every state. So Latasha's in Illinois, so she's talking about what works in Illinois, and you should and can be taking notes and getting ideas for yourself, but you will have to check out your state's regular homeschool regulations to know even what is allowed, because I know in my home state, you can't do co-ops like parents can't drop kids off at co-ops the parent a parent has to stay so that obviously hinders a lot of the ways that you can structure these homeschool groups it's kind of a bummer so every every state is different some are more free and yeah. some are less free 
Yeah, Illinois is very, um, in, in spite of everything else we hear in the news with Illinois, I must I must commend them on, on the homeschool laws. We, we are very free here. Uh, a lot of flexibility, a lot of liberty here. So I, I'm, I'm very blessed from that perspective. Yes. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear it. And yeah. yeah, to that note, it's the what you might guess the homeschool laws will be in each state could mm-hmm. could not be. So definitely check it out. Don't just assume because I live in a red state or a blue state, it's going to be this way or that. That's it can true. be more restricted than you think or less restrictive than you think. So yes. I just want to put that note, note out there. So what sort of, you've been working in your own community, you've been building up your own community, but now you've you've appeared on national television, you've testified in Congress, what kind of put you on the map? Like where, when did you kind of start to explode in terms of kind of this national presence that you have in terms of parental rights and homeschooling? I I guess it it probably would be the um, congressional testimony, maybe. And Um, when was that? That was uh, June, 2019. Okay. So before, before the pandemic. Yeah, definitely before the pandemic. Um, I can't think if there was anything else prior to that. But I think that did it, you know, because I, I, you know, I had my little press, you know, here in the state in Louisiana. But I think nationally, I think that did it. And then it just kind of like took off from there. So, yeah, that that was a blessing to be able to to testify before Congress. Yeah. And that was that was speaking on homeschooling, parental rights. What was what were you talking about that that time in 2019? Poverty in the black community. Um, OK. Poverty in the black community. So I was speaking to that fact of, as they were putting one that had a testimony that have kind of, tr- you know, trailblazed or prevailed some of those um, socialist issues, if you will, in terms of welfare, you know, the statistics, having a baby as a, as a teenager, you know, having a mom on drugs, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So my testimony was used to say that, you know, we are resilient, you know, we, we can overcome these things and we don't have to be government dependent. And so I'm big on that being independent of government and utilizing the opportunities that this con- that this country we offer to get hit. You know, I, I don't agree with our perpetual welfare, you know, I, and, you know, I got attacked thinking I was saying take away. I'm not saying taking away. I'm saying, of course, everything can be revamped because I had to use it. And when I use it, I needed the help. But I'm saying that it doesn't have to be perpetual and it's not an inheritance. And that's not what we should be land up our children is not the foundation of what we should be leaving behind. But unfortunately, um, it's not designed to help. It's designed to keep people down. I, av- I advocated for education. I advocated for changing our trajectory um, in terms of our economics because we have been disproportionately affected at- economically. And I-, I advocated for vocational trade skills, bringing those things back into our community, you know, highlighting those things again, investing in our business communities and things like that. So that that's what I was there for. Have you testified since on other issues? No, that's that's the only issue that I've, I've testified on, yes. But you are working on some other legislation, like uh, promoting it, trying to get people to call the representatives. Um, yes. I know HR5 is, is one of them. Do you want to talk about some of that? Yes, yeah, so HR5 is a parental, parental rights uh, bill um, that uh, parentalrights.org was a strong proponent of, and that bills again to protect parents' rights in dealing with the education system. And so that bill has passed the House, and so we are advocating all over the country for everybody to call their Senate and get them to be co-sponsors on that bill. Um, because the parents that choose to keep their, their kids in public education, their rights need to be protected. Our children need to be protected all over this country. 
And so we are urging people to please call your senators to get them to co-sponsor that bill with HR5. Yes. Can you give a couple of examples of the way that parental rights are being infringed upon in the public school with, with parents? Yes. Yeah, so one that I'm big on that I advocate a lot against is the sexualization. Um, and so the, the level of explicit uh, sexualization that the content that is in the public school, um, and I can speak to Illinois here, um, they pass SBA 18, which is comprehensive sex ed. And so um, the only good thing in that bill, if there be a good thing, is that the parents can opt out. But unfortunately, a lot are not aware that they can opt their children out of the class because mm-hmm. what we're finding and hearing in the community, even if they submit the form to opt out, the, the schools are not making accommodations to move the children out of the classroom. And so the babies are still being indoctrinated, if you will. And so the, the material is very pornographic. Uh, children should not be learning as young as eight years old how to masturbate and things of that nature. So um, transparency in curriculum is something that I advocate for. Their parents should have a right to know beforehand what their children are going to be taught because they're their kids. And so we're empowering parents to be more of a voice for their kids, to fight this fight, to get on the front lines, be that you're going to keep your kids in that system, you have to fight for your children. And so that's one example of it is huge. Curriculum transparency is, is not, is not, um, it's not being advocated for, uh, especially here in Illinois. On that note, one of the, one of the groups, not as a whole, there's people in the LGBT community. I mean, there's, there's a group called Gays Against Groomers, and there's plenty of, of gay people that don't want any part of this. And I get mm-hmm. that. So I'm not trying to put everybody under the same umbrella here, lump a, a group together. But yes. some of the some of the most outspoken people and organizations do belong in that LGBT group in terms of being against parental rights. I was just reading an article in a gay magazine last week about how they were against all these parental rights bills. And one of the arguments they make, you know, does have some you know, is is logical. They say these these people on the right, these Republicans, whatever, you know, they, they lump parental rights folks in the, in the same category too. And there's plenty of people who aren't Republican or of the right who believe in parental rights. But they will say, you know, these folks want, maybe they want, they believe that parents should be able to decide whether or not their child gets vaccines, but they don't think parents should be able to decide whether they get hormone treatment or not. You know, I have my own opinions about that, but they're, they, there is a line, right, that both groups w- believe that parents should be able to cross or not cross. So what would you say to somebody who's like, you don't believe in parental rights? Because if you did, you'd say that I could trans transition my child, right? Like, I'm the parent. I know them better than you do. And I think that, you know, Sally needs to become Jimmy. What would you say to that? I, I mean, hey, I won't be a hypocrite. That's their kid. And, and so... I wouldn't say I agree, but I am big on parental rights. Now, mm-hmm. however, I do believe uh, transitioning your kid is a form of abuse, but that's you. If you want your girl to become a boy, that's you. The problem I have with this entire movement, the entire LGBTQ plus movement, the entire sexualization of children is that leave children alone. That's it. You know, when you're mm-hmm. grown, knock yourself out, you know, whatever your little heart desire, have your way. My position is leave children alone. In this country, you're grown at 18. Now, honestly, FYI, we don't do 18 in my house, right? I don't teach that, right? My children, when you're 18, you're grown. Um, But according to this country, you can do whatever your little heart desires, right? Within reason. But my position as a home educator 
as a parental rights advocate is to leave other people's children alone. These movements, these organizations has no right to infringe, indoctrinate, and usurp parental authority. And so that is where the lines get crossed in the conservative Republican right wing movement. You know, they do the, the left or whomever do think they have a scapegoat, if you will, to say that. But no, they're not your children. You don't have a right to sexualize and indoctrinate other people's children. You, you just don't have that mm-hmm. right. And so I only stand there. Now, I have met parents that even in Chicago, in the city, you know, I have heard, you know, they're going to do it anyway. And that's fine. All I'm saying, you got the information, you've heard it, you got the tools, you got the resource. If you think this is what you want your kid to do or whomever think that's fine. All I'm saying, leave my kids alone and leave other people's kids alone that do not want that type of lifestyle for their children. Now, as a Christian, I don't agree with homosexuality. And I didn't agree with it before I became a Christian. When mm-hmm. I was lost in sin, fornicating, doing God knows what, I still not, I still did not agree with homosexuality. For me, attack if you will. I don't care. I don't agree with it. But mm-hmm. hey, live your life however you want to live your life, right? As an advocate, right? As a voice for people in my community, be it white, be it black, leave these children alone. Got it. I'm gonna I'm gonna read a quote to you from one of these articles I just read. It, it actually doesn't touch on the sexualization stuff, but it's it's trying to point out the problems with parental rights. And the interesting thing about this article too is that it always puts parental rights in quote, parental rights, you know, what is parental rights? Um, but it doesn't put, it talks about youth liberation and it doesn't put youth liberation in quotes, right? Like youth liberation is, we don't need to, to p- poke any holes with that. That's like a clear idea but parental mm-hmm. rights, that's silly. So anyways, I'm going to read this quote to you and just ask, ask for you to give a response. It says, the problem with parental rights is it perpetuates this idea that children are property and not autonomous human beings with their own feelings, needs, and experiences. I personally prefer to talk less about parental rights and more about youth autonomy and youth liberation and children's safety and wellness. There are, there are the movements that I want to be a part of because then we're asking questions like, what do kids need to be safe, happy, and well? We're looking to and listening to kids themselves to answer those questions. You know, Connie, um, <laughs> all right, there's there's a lot to unpack in that. Okay, we're all sovereign beings, no doubt, right? There, There is a level of self-governance and self-autonomy, but the whole... <sighs> These people, I tell you, children have to be guided, have to be directed, right? And so when I read things like that and I hear these organizations, so you're saying, so I go back to message. That's their message to you. And then you have the parents' message to you. And so the parents are arguing, arguing, my message is the message that should be guiding my child's life. And they're arguing the same. No, this message, they need autonomy. They need to experience life. There is sexual revolution. They have a right to their sexuality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you're still trying to parent somebody's child as well. And that that's what I, you know, I try to get them to understand. You're doing the exact same thing. You're taking someone else's child, you're taking a group of youth, you're taking the youth of this country, and you are parenting them as well. You are teaching them or you're indoctrinating them with an ideology, with a perspective, with a philosophy that they can just do whatever their little hearts desire. They can live in the fullness of their feelings and their emotions, et cetera. 
it's the same thing. And so there's a battle of who voice should be leading and guiding children or you. Mm -hmm. The parents' voice, because they're not your children. They're not your child for you to think that they have a right to this level of autonomy. That is self-destruction. Children should not be exposed to any form of sexuality before time, right? Psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, it is unhealthy for them, right? There are, as we all know, there are long-term consequences to be open, to have your emotions and your hormones open up before time. They have time for sex. And so just one point, this is what I teach my children in my school, my kids, everybody. You know, God has promised humanity, if you will, 120 years, right? Give or take. This country has deemed 17 and under your kid. So in reality, they only have 17 years to be kids. 17. Mm-hmm. They have a hot 100 years, if you will, if the grace of God allowed them to live and see it, to have all the sexual pleasures that they their little hearts desire. So I say again, leave these children alone. Let them be kids from birth to 17. And when they turn 18, hey, that's all we're saying. Leave other people's children alone. Organizations don't have a right to deem that another person's child should be exposed to any level of sexual autonomy or hormones or transitioning. None of those things. Because the reason why these my children, you think they're thinking about changing their sexual identity? So the, the kids that they feel have these rights and these emotions and they're feeling these things because you're inundating them to feel these things. Mm-hmm. The culture and the society is brainwashing them to feel these things. None of the children that I teach, none of the kids in our homeschool group, none of these kids are walking around questioning their gender, questioning mm-hmm. their sexuality. They're on these babies in this country are only feeling that way because of our public education system, because of social media and all these things. I am a particular in terms of what my children can view on social media, YouTube, et cetera, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we got to understand that perspective too. Yes, these feelings, unfortunately, a lot of our youth are real because it's what they're hearing. It's what they're seeing. And so I'm big on protecting what, what we teach in our school, children's ear gates and their eye gates, because what enters your eyes, what enters your ears, enters your mind, enters your heart. And it's what you speak. It becomes what you profess. And then I teach them. Then it's what you do with your hands and your feet. So let's not play this game like children just wake up with this garbage. No, you're mm-hmm. teaching crap to these babies. And so mm-hmm. they, they think these feelings are, are real. And so parents and, and, and right-wing organizations, whatever, you know, these parental rights organizations, whatever, you, you need to step up to the plate and have a more sound argument that they're feeling these things because you too are teaching these things. And I think people need to understand too that there's no such thing as a neutral education. Someone is always putting a point of view into your child. The point of view may be that we don't talk about God in the classroom. Like we don't mention him, you know, the 10 commandments, they're not on the wall, whatever. And it might not be that they're being sexualized or anything, but there's someone is always pouring a point of view into your child. And actually going back to your original point about what it is to be a mama bear, what what animals in the animal kingdom hand off their, their babies to somebody else for hours a day, <laughs> five days a week, something is being poured into your child and chances are you don't align up with any, you don't align up with your husband a hundred percent of the time, right? You think that you're going to be aligned totally with 
basically a stranger and hopefully you, you get a relationship, you form a relationship with the teacher in the school, but somebody else pouring into your kids. And so this idea that it's going to be a neutral, that you can find a neutral way to educate children is, it's impossible. <laughs> it, it, is, it is. And it's getting worse, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely have gotten worse and it's going to get worse, kind of, you know, it, it really is. And so my heart's pleased for parents to please wake up. You know, we, we can't use the word protect strong enough. Protect your children. It's something interesting about that, that quote that I just gave you, and it's from truthout.org. Um, a black man wrote this article and he said that he actually recognizes or he believes black families in particular are at risk from government overreach and not having those parental rights. I think he's referring to mainly what some people call medical kidnapping or CPS overreach mm -hmm. with taking kids out of homes. Um, and I think I saw that mentioned on one of your sites, corruption within child protective services. Um, yes, do you want to touch on that at all? Yeah, it, it is. It is a thing in the black community. I think we're upwards 40 percent of our kids being medically kidnapped because unfortunately there is an ideology in this country, especially since the civil rights, that somehow black parents are kind of loosely deemed unfit in a lot of mm -hmm. situations when it comes to our kids or we're inadequate in raising our children. And so unfortunately, the justice system has uh, been very unjust when it comes to black families uh, in medical kidnapping. Um, and just with the whole, you know, child protective services, DCF services. And so that that is a huge issue within our community. And so, again, um, I believe public education is kind of a gateway to a lot of those incidents as well. And so I'm going to be honest, I just think black people just need to get their kids out of public school. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think everybody should get their kids. Everybody <laughs> But I mean, if they're, hey, if we, we had to segment it off and just say what group we, I mean, I'm going to go even further. We should have never went in. So when I say we need to get them out, because my thought now over these last 17 years, we should have never went in. I, I'm big on Booker T. Washington. You know, we had school system. We were thriving. When you think about the public education system and what we're learning, a lot of the black people that we learned for, for, from, for example, Booker T., Frederick Douglass, Harry Tubman, I mean, the list is endless. None of those people went to public school. And so my husband says that all the time that, you know, the education that we retain is coming from people that, again, did not were not even in the public school system, wasn't even a such thing as a public school system per se, right, in terms of the way we see it now. And so what we see as public school, that's what's new, is what only 120 some years old. Mm -hmm. It's the new system. Homeschooling is what is antiquity, right? And so that's what we should be promoting and getting back to that. And so as, as we were saying, I believe all should get their kids out of public school. I think that's the way to to change the whole system. It needs to be a mass exodus of the public education system because these people are not listening to us, right? Mm -hmm. And particularly, I do advocate very boldly and very strongly for Black people to get their children out of public school. You know, now that I know what I know and learning that we should have never went in. I'm going to be honest, you know, we should have never went in. Again, I am a strong proponent of Booker T. Washington and Julia Rosenwald schools, you know, where Blacks were doing phenomenally well, you know, when we had our own schools, you know, because in teaching our history, we didn't have to worry about our history being negated or not being taught, you know. And so here we are 50 plus some years later, and I mean this in no disrespect, we're in a system and we're learning from an oppressed system. You know, in actuality, we're learning from our oppressors. And then at the same time, we've been fighting 
for equality, fighting for them to teach our history, fighting for them to give our kids a good education. And it's like, do we ever sit back and think and say, hmm, are we really fighting for our oppressors to teach us how they oppressed us? Mm-hmm. Is that what we're doing? And, and so when you think about it from that perspective, it doesn't make any sense. In actuality, your oppressors are not going to teach, are not going to teach you how they have oppressed you. So I think from that perspective, and here we are, you know, we went into the public school system in the 1950s, you know, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. And here we are, 2023, we are still fighting for equality. We are still fighting for our children to get a quality education. Now they have the audacity to sexualize our children. Now mm-hmm. they have the audacity to, to, to take the, the LGBT plus Q movement and compare it, Connie, to the color of our skin. So mm-hmm. we have to ask ourselves, why is our right to be treated as humans compared to our skin color? Now, hey, let them have their rights to do whatever they want to do. But I really don't like the fact that sex, sex, which is fluid, you know, you wanted to be a lesbian or gay or transgender, whatever, is compared to the fight we had in this country. We wasn't fighting to be black. We were just yeah. fighting to be to be treated as humans, right? Because mm-hmm. we are. And so to compare our to compare our skin color to sex is very insulting to me. And so we don't I don't want children learning that that's the same fight. You know, everybody takes our plight. And use it, and, and you know, me and my husband say all the time, we eat gumbo, but we don't do gumbo. I don't like this mixing everything up. You know, mm-hmm. our plight, if you will, to this country was very unique, and I believe our solution should be very unique. And we shouldn't have to have all these other people and issues, you know, piled up on top of the rights we we so desperately deserve in this country. And so I, I am I am unapologetic that Black people need to get their children out of public school. Because I'm seeing it now, and and we see it all over the country. As you know, Connie, we just excel when we're not under that system. And mm-hmm. and I, I survived public school. A lot of us have, right? We have a lot of our uh, black patriots that that within this generation have done extremely well. And I and I bless God for the resilience that a lot of us have survived. But I just see that there is so much more. So we may have survived academically, but have we survived from our character? Have we survived in terms of how we view culture, how we view society, how we view God, more importantly, and even how we view this country? Have we really survived from that perspective? All of your points are well taken and, you know, obviously a constant theme and really where your journey in homeschooling, parental rights, kind of having an epiphany started with the Holy Spirit, really, right? But can you make this argument? And, and when we read that quote from the gentleman in that in that article who was against parental rights or the parental rights movement, these aren't religious people. So is your is your audience only to the Christian or do you do you make attempts to make inroads on people who are atheists and you know almost hostile towards towards faith? How do you how do you manage that? No, my no, my audience or my message is not to Christians. It's just my message. You know, mm. um, by the grace of God, I, I haven't I haven't got a lot of pushback, and and when I and when I do, I don't, I don't let it phase me as so many of us don't. This is my message, so I take ownership of where I am. I don't apologize for where I am and who I am and where I, the way I see things. Because just as strong as an atheist, 
has his or her perspective. I am just as strong in having my perspective of my journey. Uh, for example, when I testified before Congress, that was a it, that was a lot of pushback. But it was like that's my story, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my testimony, right? And this is this is this is the way, if you will, my life has evolved. And this is the reason, whether you believe it or not. Now, when I'm, I I tell people, I don't care if you believe in Christ or not. I do that. Whatever. This is my life. This is my testimony, right? And so I don't code switch, right? Mm-hmm. I don't change the way I speak. I don't change my belief to fit a narrative or to fit a group of people. Even when I campaigned for lieutenant governor, I did not become politically correct. And I spoke just the way me and you're talking now, because this is just who I am. I mean, I take it or leave it, right? So no, I don't cater my message to fit any group. I don't cater to fit blacks. I don't cater to fit whites. And when I'm in a predominantly white group, I say exactly what I'm telling you now. I'm a black group. I say exactly what I'm saying now. So it's just cross the board. And and what I do stress to people because of what has happened to blacks in this country, I will tend to pivot or get stronger from the perspective of blacks because again, it's a biblical foundation from we need to be helping the least of them. And when you think about all the issues in this country or even globally, unfortunately, with a lot of them, we're on the bottom of the spectrum. So I am not the type of black. I'm not going to ignore where we are and the things that have happened. I am one to try to bring hope and hopefully solutions to that situation. I'm not going to be all you know negative and I don't like all that. I'm not going to be negative because there's, there's enough negativity out here. And so try to bring positive light and try to hone in on people encouraging the black community, if you will, encouraging and bringing hope and restoration. Because too many times um, from where I sit, I watch people just uh, clickbait what's going on with black people, take one narrative and try to broad brush stroke all of us with this stuff. And it's not all of us. I don't even believe in my heart It's the majority of us in this country um, in terms of the things that they show, you know, why not highlight home ownership? You know, why not highlight the black businesses? Why not bring more attention to black homeschooling or the 400 plus black owned schools that are in this country? Black people that are that are just being extraordinary, that are resilient, children that are just doing extraordinary uh, things, all the ingenuity that we have in the resilience. But no, they don't want to highlight those things. You know, why not highlight how, you know, we need to be in our government needs to be investing in our communities. Why not highlight those things, right? There's so much good about us. We are we are just some wonderful people. And that's my heart. I want to highlight that because I don't live in the craziness, you know, that they talk about. I don't live in that. You know, me and my husband are homeowners. We own two, three businesses. Like, we'd be like, what are you yeah. talking about? Right, we, you know, and we've, and, and we've been, if you will, from those dynamics that they highlight, but highlight how we can travail through those things. You know, one point, me and my husband both come from parents that were on drugs, you know, just all, as they would say, all the hood issues, if you will, you know, we've come from that, right? As millions of us, many of us have, it's not. And that's why, you know, I've had people say, well, I don't talk about it, because it's not unique, unfortunately. Like, what is that? I'm not trying to highlight all of that, if you will. I'm trying to highlight what God has done. I'm trying to Mm -hmm. highlight testimony. I'm trying to highlight what I didn't overcome, right? I'm trying to highlight my beautiful four black children, if you will, you know, those are the things I'm trying to highlight that 
in spite of what the enemy has told us and in spite of what this country and our government has said is we're not inadequate. We can teach our children. You know, as you said, I homeschooled my daughter from fourth to 12th grade. This girl went to college on a scholarship, you know, graduated from the University of Bridgeport uh, on honors. You know, I want to talk about those things. You know, mm-hmm. I want to talk about how she's been successful right now in Connecticut and things like that. I want to talk about my two black boys that are not thugs, if you will, are not yeah. out here committing crimes, you know good boys that want to be something in life, love their father. You know, their black dad is, is, is their hero. That's the light of those are the things we should be highlighting. And so kind of when I'm in the community, this is how I talk. You know, I don't want to hear all that garbage. We don't, we got to stop giving that stuff power. We give it too much power. We illuminate it too much. And then, you know, then, you know, and it spew, it keeps spewing this racist stuff. I believe racism exists. Heck yeah, I believe it exists. But racism is a matter of the heart. That's a heart issue. And there's not Mm -hmm. a we can pass in this country that's going to stop people from feeling the way they feel. Thank God for the laws that we have where they can't act upon those feelings, if you will. They can't discriminate, but you you can't change the precepts of somebody's heart. The only law Mm -hmm. that change that is the law of Christ working Mm -hmm. within them, right? And on their mind. And so I don't have time to illuminate that. And my husband said all the time in the barbershop, because clearly he ain't talking to a number of black men. You know, stop letting these clickbait narratives, these racist narratives hinder what you need to be doing for your family. Somebody disliking you should not hinder the mobility of your life. Ooh, yep. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't. Right. I don't care if they don't like me. I just say stay out of my way. <laughs> exactly. Just get on out the way, move around, right? So we can go ahead and, and if you would get this American pie or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Get the opportunities. You know, I just need to take care of my kids and survive and be content. So that that's 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 who we are. This is who I am. So no, I don't I don't change to fit anything. Cause one more point, when we were campaigning, people just, you know, my team here are just like, because they know I just talk about Jesus a lot, seriously. Mm-hmm. And they just like, Tasha, how are you going to do this? How are you going to just go out there and say, watch me? I say, because they're they're getting this other garbage. They're getting that. And and, and we were, when we were campaigning, you know how many people we prayed for on the campaign trail? Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. People thought that they were going to get this political speech from me and how we just ministered to so many people and how many people basically said we won just because of that, having a heart for people. And I tell you, I didn't lead with politics. I lead with my heart. This stuff is life or death out here. People are dying because of these policies that they're passing, spiritual and natural. So I don't, I don't take this for granted. People are not a policy to me. They're not mm-hmm. a number to me. People are dying, black and white, everybody. Mm-hmm. People are being genuinely affected by this stuff. And it's time to stop playing games with people's life. Stop playing this political ping pong, you know, back and forth, because those that are on top want power when they only have as much power as we give them. Absolutely. Yeah, so much good stuff in this in this interview. And I love that the fact that you you don't code switch, as you said. And when people say code switch, they maybe think one thing, but you don't code switch your beliefs. You don't code switch the way your vernacular. Latasha H. Fields is who she is in front of you. You are an authentic person. And I think that's why you have and will just continue to get more and more people 
changing hearts, as you said, like it's a heart issue, changing more and more hearts, changing more and more minds. So I appreciate all the work that you do. We're going to close it out here with first, we're going to do a speed round of questions, which we do in every podcast. It's just fun. You've got 10 questions here. You're supposed to try to answer them as quickly as you can. There's no right or wrong answers. And then we'll let you close it out with some final thoughts after that. So question number one, black or African-American? Black. (laughs) What is your hottest take? Your most controversial kind of opinion? Baby, black people shouldn't have went into public school. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. What would your last meal be? I love crawfish. (laughs) The Black Panther or Blade? Black Panther. In your opinion, is the word Negro a slur? Yes. Yes. Do you think you are capable of killing a person in self-defense? No. (laughs) (laughs) Should the United States return to the gold standard? Hmm. No. What is the wildest conspiracy theory you kind of believe is true? The Illuminati. (laughs) (laughs) What is the biggest issue facing Black America today? Family. And should Pluto still be considered a planet? From the words of my son, yes. Alrighty, those are our 10 funny, fun speed round questions, though some of them are obviously more serious than others. Um, Latasha, thank you so much for coming on. What did we not get to that you want to leave with folks? What's on your heart right now to share with our audience? Yeah, and thank you for having me, Connie. This was a blast, and I love the 10 round questions. <laughs> um, just, you know, just, you know, pray for families, you know, don't let media uh, give you a perspective about people. Because a lot of us know, a lot of us are well-versed that they, a lot of times these people have to say what they say, right? So let's let's use some discernment. Let's lead with our heart and let's help people for real. Let's consider the least of them. And secondly, in reference to us here in Chicago, what we're doing, you know, keep us in prayer. You know, uh, we are trying to expand our school to get it out the basement so we can come more become more visible to help other families because there's only so Where much. Where can people go to maybe donate to that cause? Yeah, so um, we have a b2bfund.org. That's our website for to donate. And it's b2bs for basement to building fund.org. They can go there or you can go to Epic, our website, Epic Cafe, which is epicforchange.org. Or you can go to our homeschool website, which is uh, chessup.org. And that's C-H-E-S-S up.org. So any three of those places, um, you can donate and help us. Um, and so it's just an expansion. And again, I believe if we become more visible, you know, sight, people can see us. Um, we're big on uh, empowering parents and some parents can come into uh, our center. We're going to call it the Epic Center, Empowering Parents, Igniting Communities, um, where they can see, learn, get tools, get resources, shadow, you know, and just see this this beautiful world, if you if you will, hands on, up front and, and close. So that that's our prayer. And so we, we bless God that that the pendulum is swinging and, and I think it's gonna become a reality for us here in Chicago. Uh so we're we're very excited about that. And and one more thing, we're we're believing God to do a homeschool summit here from my mm-hmm. never been a Chicago homeschool summit in the okay. city. Because uh, one more thing, people love to have stuff using Chicago's name, but it's always 30 minutes or 30 miles away. So we're not playing those games, right? Mm-hmm. We want it in the city so we can attract the wonderful families in the city of Chicago um, to, to introduce them even more so to this wonderful world of homeschooling that we can home educate our children. And we advocate for people to open up more schools. So we're huge on that. You know, my dream would be 
to saturate the city of Chicago, have schools on every four corner of the city. Um, but we can have these cooperative learning centers, as I like to call them, where they're big on community. And we call them K through community. We don't call them K through 12. I call them K through community. Mm, because I love that. A, a broad brush stroke. We are big, again, on entrepreneurialism, vocational training, apprenticeship. So whatever we can do to to kind of ignite this, this restoration within our community. We believe in that domino effect. So God only needs one, right? Mm-hmm. He only needs one to start that chain reaction to give this city and black people, if you will, a different perspective, a different outlook. Um, so that that's my final thing. Just keep us in prayer. And, and, and as we pray for one another on this journey, because it's a real fight. Oh, I will definitely be doing that myself. And I'm going to be looking out for information on that homeschool summit because yes, I yes. want to attend that if if yes. that comes, God willing, if that comes to fruition. Latasha, yes. thank you so much. We'll be linking all of her social media handles, her websites, everything will be in the show notes and show notes in the description. So just thank you so much. And we, I'm sure at some point you will be back on the podcast yes, um, in the future to talk about the success of all the amazing things that you've got in the pipeline. Thank you so much. We'll see you again. All right, thank you, Candy. God bless you all. The number you have dialed. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Free Black Thought.